1209. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Radio. In about an hour, time is a little bit flexible. We are going to be joined by United States Senator Ron Johnson. I'm going to talk to him about a number of things, including the Roy Moore controversy, this proposal in the U.S. Senate to kill the Obamacare mandate as part of tax reform, and um, some allegations about sexual harassment in the workplace in Congress. That and a lot more, again, coming up. Uh, again, we're a little bit fluid because uh, Senator Johnson has a meeting, but tentatively we're scheduled to talk to him around one ten in the afternoon, so about an hour from now. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show, three big things. All right, now I want to give you a little advance warning here. I want to give you a little advance warning. I do not want to shock anybody. So if you're driving around, you might want to put both hands on the wheel because I am going to play for you a song which is at the center of a controversy. Now, this particular song, well, I'll tell you a little bit about it in a minute, but but here here is the song that is creating all the controversy. Okay, now, I, I hope, I, I, first of all, I want to apologize in advance if I have shocked and offended you, but, you know, sometimes if you're going to do an adult tele- radio show, you know, you, you need to, sometimes, like I say, Wagner's Rule of Life, number one, life is tough, get a helmet. That is a song called Cotton Needs Pickin'. It is, I, I don't know where the song originated. I can tell you this. It's um, registered, the song was registered in 1938 in the Library of Congress as as an Americ, American folk song. So this is, it is Americana. It has been covered by artists. There, there's multiple recordings. If you go out and you, you do a search of Cotton Needs Pickin', you will find, you will find everything from a, via, uh, a Viennese orchestra who's done the song to Rye Cooter. I mean, it's just, it's, it is an American folk song that, like I say, has been around since at least 1938, maybe earlier. All right, so why do we start off the program with that? Well, I want to start, tell you a story about the Springfield Middle School. This is Toledo, Ohio. Um, on Thursday, the last Thursday, the middle school choir held its annual fi- fall concert. As part of the fall concert, and this fall concert was devoted to, at least in part, to American folk songs, Americana. As part of the concert last Thursday, the Springfield Middle School Choir 
did its rendition of Cotton Needs Pickin'. Now, I, I actually, I've heard the tape of, of this, and the, the reason I, I chose another version of it is because the, the, the tape it's, was recorded on Facebook, and it's kind of a little bit muddy. But it, it's, it's that song that I, that I just played for you. It is an American folk song, Cotton Needs Pickin'. All right. Well, here is the story, and this is big story number one. Um, apparently, there are a number of parents who are outraged. Um, one of the parents is, she is Cuban. Her husband is African-American. She says the room was quiet when the students began singing the song. Her husband, who is African-American, walked out in the middle of the song. An African-American woman mouthed, oh, my God, to her. They found the performance of the song as racist. It's a little bit too close to the time of the N-word being used directly across the street in the parking lot. Apparently, there was an incident in the, in the parking lot of the high school a while ago. Others who saw the video expressed disgust and were absolutely appalled. Um, again, this short song is from the perspective of field workers gleefully picking cotton and commenting about the weather. The Springfield superintendent says the song came from a choir book of American folk songs and that the students had been practicing the song since August. All right. Now, like I say, apparently there was an incident last month where a young young life, a Christian organization, shared videos and pictures of them holding a Confederate flag outside the high school. The choir teacher says, well, we, we hadn't intended to offend anyone at all. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. Have we come to a point in America in 2017 where a classic American folk song cannot be performed in a public middle school because of the interpretation that some people want to give it? Or... Is a song that says "Cotton Need Pickin" needs pickin. Is that just so inherently racist that any teacher should have understood we cannot perform that in a public school in 2017? Or is this, on the other hand, a situation where some people desperately, desperately, desperately need to get a life and grow up? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line. Please hold on. That's the song, Cotton Needs Pickin'. Is it inherently racist? Should the Springfield School District be apologizing? Should there be discipline against the teacher? We discuss. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. First, it was knocking down statues. Are they going to go through the Library of Congress pulling out music now? Southern whites picked cotton, too, during the Depression. Yeah, Southern whites pick cotton all the time as well. 414-799-1620. I mean, again, this is, you, you have American folk songs, all right? Now, I understand maybe there are some American folk songs that are inherently racist, and just because something was sung in 1910 doesn't mean it's necessarily relevant in 2017. But here you have a perfectly benign song that talks about cotton needs picking, and you have some people in attendance at that audience who go, oh, my God, I can't believe they're singing about cotton needs picking. Well, get over it. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, you know, the same people that are walking out of this 
that, that show would probably pay to see Cat Williams and Chris Rock in a performance saying the N-word a million times yep. to be on the floor laughing. Right, and, and wouldn't be offended at, at all. Right, I mean, this is, I mean, I, I guess it's, yes, did, did slaves pick cotton? Yes, they did. But lots of southern whites picked cotton as well, and lots of non-slaves picked cotton. It is a large part of southern agriculture, not just in the 1860s and the 1850s, but, you know, for, forever. And, and yet now we, we can't acknowledge this. Plus, it's a folk song, for goodness sakes. Yeah, that was a catchy tune, too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it is. I mean, we're, it, well, it is. That's, that's why I wanted, I wanted you to hear it. Because, again, and, and there's nothing in the lyrics. Cotton was planted in April, you know, under the moon. You know, now it's growing. Cotton needs picking. It, it, it's, it's not, there's not references to who's picking the cotton. There's not a sympathetic view towards slavery or anything like that. It's just they're talking about that. But more importantly, it's part of Americana. I mean, the, I'll give you another example. The, the, the song about, you know, cotton picking that most people are probably most familiar with is the old lead belly song um you know cotton fields at home right you know and and i i will not I, you will not have to listen to me sing it but it, it's the cotton fields you know that's that goes back to 1940 i mean again it is i mean arguably is it a romantic view of the south okay you know maybe so but it's an Ameri- it is americana it is folk music at some point in time do we have to stop purging history um, Charmaine in Union Grove, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I totally agree with Jeff Wagner. I am African-American. We sang that song at an African-American school, uh, Sanders Middle School in Columbia, South Carolina. African-American music teacher. <laughs> it was part of Americana. What's wrong with these people? We sang it in an all-black environment. But it's Americana. Nobody picks cotton anymore. It's just a song. Right. Well, it's a and folk song. To, yeah. It's yeah. a folk song. I happen to be African American. In fact, I've met you. I admire you. I like you. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. If you and, and if you uh, call me uh, right wing conservative, whatever, I'm not. I'm just being rational and reasonable. I'm African American. Sing the song. Nobody picks cotton. We've become too far to the left in terms of our culture. I'm well, sorry. That's. No, you're, you're right, oh, Charmaine. Thank, thanks for the call. And thanks for the good words. That, that's exactly it. Now, look, I, I, I will be the first to acknowledge that just because it is an American folk song doesn't automatically mean that there can't be racist elements or racist tones to that. And I could give you examples, but I choose not to do it this time. But that, that's why I wanted to go listen to the song. I'm trying to think, is there anything in there that a reasonable person would be offended by? And uh, and this one, absolutely not. This strikes me as being a completely and totally appropriate song to perform at a concert of American folk music. It's been in the Library of Congress since 1938, and the people that are offended by this, I'm sorry, these are the folks that I describe as being the politically correct and the perpetually offended, the folks who wake up every day looking for someone to try to knock a chip off their shoulder. Kelly and Greenfield text. It's just getting a little bit too much now. I understand there are sensitive topics out there, but people are going way overboard. Yes, yes, they, they 
are. Um, no question. Um, let's see. Uh, here's another one. Uh, we just all need to keep our mouths shut. We go- can't say anything anymore because somebody might be offended by something. Um, yeah, that, that's the thing. And here's the bottom line. Somebody is always going to be offended by something. The point is... You know, you, you cannot, I think, bow down to that, that lowest common denominator, to the folks that are looking to be bothered by something. And this is a classic example. All right, coming up, big story number two. Why is it that we're protecting the juveniles out there who are committing all the crimes? Stick around. It's 1223. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Grew, who's producing the show today. You better be careful because you're, you're gonna get you're gonna get hung with that racist label sometime soon because our bumper music, you know, we, we use the Allman Brothers, we use Leonard Skinner. I mean, all that Southern Rock stuff, just be prepared. Somebody's gonna say, Oh, those are those Southern Rock bands. You can't be doing that. Well, yes, yes, in fact we can. All right, big story number two. Uh, about a month or so ago. In response to the out-of-control crime wave in the city of Milwaukee that is now spreading like a cancer to the Milwaukee County suburbs and to surrounding counties, um, a number of communities and their police departments have started saying enough is enough. So they, they formed what they call the Suburban Violent Crimes Task Force with the emphasis being suburban. And and these are police departments from all around the area who are trying to band together to deal with particularly car theft, carjackings, and burglaries. And like I say, a lot of this in the suburbs is a transplant. It is people, criminals, thugs from Milwaukee who are deciding, hey, there's targets of opportunity in the suburbs. Let's, let's spread out. And more and more frequently, it is turning out that the thugs are, in fact, juveniles. Now, I understand it has been a while since I was 12 years old. Gru, who's producing the show, less time since you have been 12 years old. Uh, Last night was a school night. When you, Gru, were 12 years old, would your parents have let you run the streets at 11 o'clock at night? And the answer is, of course not. Of course not. Can I see a show of hands? Anybody back when you were 12 or 13 or 14? Uh, okay, so last night is a Tuesday night. You know, would your parents have let you be running the streets? Of course they wouldn't, because nothing good happens on those streets. Well, here's the story. Last night, you had this Suburban Crimes Task Force, which, again, concentrates on car thefts, carjackings, burglaries, things of the like. What happened is they were they were investigating. They, they see a car, and the car is linked to an armed robbery. And so it's about 10:30 at night near 50th and Lloyd. And you get the report. Okay, here's this is this car. It is linked to an armed robbery. The police try to pull the car over. What happens nowadays? Well, everybody runs from the cops. What is different now than, say, a couple weeks ago is that now the cops chase them. So here you have this car. It's involved in the armed robbery. The cops spot it. They put on the bubble lights. They start to 
chase. Now, the chase was initiated not by Milwaukee police, but rather it was <clears throat> initiated by, again, the members of the Suburban Crime Task Force, officers from Brookfield, West Dallas, Greenfield, Franklin, and Wauwatosa, and the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department are all part of this. So the chase starts on, like, 50th and Lloyd. Milwaukee police did, in fact, join in. What happens is the car drives at a high rate of speed. And again, cops are chasing it because they think it's involved in an armed robbery. The chase lasts about 15 minutes and ends when the vehicle that is being pursued, this is the car driven by the bad guys, crashes into another vehicle near 25th and Wells. What happens is the punks slash thugs slash use whatever term you want get out of the car and start running. Two people are in the vehicle that was hit by the car that's fleeing. Um, They sustain injuries, but they are non-life-threatening. So the people in the car run away. The police catch them. There are five, five people that are in the car fleeing the police. All of them are under the age of 18. All of them are juveniles. The oldest is 17. The youngest is 12. 12 years old, involved in a car, 10.30 last night, in car involved in an armed robbery, fleeing from the police. All have been caught. Now, I bring this up because I wanted to bleed into big story number two. Here is the unfortunate truth of the matter. Unless the district attorney's office decides to try to waive any of these people into adult court... We will never know the disposition of this case. We will never know the people that are involved. We will never know what's happened to them unless the DA's office tries to waive them in. And I tell you, you, you know that they're not going to waive many of them in. Maybe, maybe some will. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Juvenile courts have changed. Juvenile criminals have changed. I think it is way past time for us to stop protecting juveniles. I think the names of all five of those thugs slash punks that were in that car last night should be made public. I think the disposition of what happens to them should be made public. I think the public has a right to know what's going on. How many people in that car had lengthy records? How many people had been through the juvenile court system before? I think it is time to unseal juvenile court records and make it public so we can find out, number one, how the court system operates, and number two, so if you live in a neighborhood where you've got these five kids that live in your neighborhood, you know you know and can protect yourself. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we continue to keep juvenile records sealed in cases involving armed robberies or carjackings or car thefts or burglaries or more serious offenses? My answer is no. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks wind up the homestand this evening as they look for a season-high fourth straight win, welcoming in the Pistons. Ted and Dennis will begin Buckshot's pregame coverage from the Bradley Center at 640 here on WTMJ. All right, if you're just tuning in, last night, about 1030, the Suburban Crimes Task Force, which is a group of suburban police officers formed to really kind of deal with what is largely the problem of criminals in Milwaukee, 
including juvenile criminals in Milwaukee, who, like a cancer, are spreading out to the suburbs, both suburban Milwaukee County and also uh, surrounding counties, and committing crimes. And so what happens last night is they see this car. It's about 1030 at night. They're involved in investigating. The car is associated with an armed robbery. They decide to chase. The car runs from them. Ultimately, it crashes into another car on like 25th and Wells. As always happens, the five thugs slash punks get out, start running. They are all apprehended. The ages of the thugs slash punks between 12 and 17, 12 years old, out 1030 at night, driving around in a car involved in an armed robbery. Huh. Mom and dad, do you know where your kids are? Do you care where your kids are? Obviously not. But here's here's the bigger point of this whole thing. Unless the DA's office decides to waive any or all of them, and they're not going to waive, try to waive the 12-year-old in adult court, the public is never going to know about the disposition of this matter. We're never going to know whether these kids have lengthy records. My guess is several of them do. Whether they've already been put on double and secret probation, we're not going to know what happens to them. They are not going to be named because they are protected by the juvenile laws. I think these laws are hopelessly outdated, and I think this notion of let's not tell the public who it is that's involved in this, number one, does a huge disservice to the public because, first of all, it prevents the juvenile judges from getting the scrutiny they need. Like, why are you continuing to look the other way with somebody who's been involved in multiple offenses? Why aren't you treating them severely? And secondly, from the perspective of the general public, I mean, if you're one of the teachers of one of these punks that's involved in an armed robbery or carjacking or fleeing from the police, don't you think that you should know that? If one of these punks, thugs, lives in your neighborhood, don't you think you should know that? Why are we protecting these juvenile criminals? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chuck in Brookfield. Chuck, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Okay. I agree with everything you say, but I have to add a few points to this. Uh, most likely none of these kids are attending school. Yeah. And they're out uh, on curfew. Twelve years old, uh, though. Twelve years old. How can you not How can you not be attending school at 12? But, yes, I don't deny what you're saying. Yeah. So let's call the parents in the court and give them some jail time, too. Um, or or wonder why, or, or again, I mean, if you want to look at sort of child abuse, if you don't care enough about your kid, to wonder where he is, um, I think it's a he, at 12, you know, at, at 1030 at night, driving around in a stolen car. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe somebody else could get a shot at, at parenting. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Thank, no, thanks. No, thanks. I, I mean, again, that that's the I mean, we, we ask it's almost gotten frustrating. I've been doing the show. I've been doing a radio show in this market for 22, 23 years now. And, and I mean, you, you always can ask this question. Where are the parents? And sometimes that's overused. But, you, you know, the parents are completely and totally punched out. You know, my guess is it is just a guess. But my guess is that several of the people in that car have been through the juvenile justice system on multiple occasions have had their wrists slapped and are out continuing to commit crimes maybe i'm wrong maybe it was the first time for all five in the car but i don't think you'd want to bet too much money on that 414-799-1620 that is the number but but the larger point is why are we protecting juveniles now i understand back when the juvenile code was written decades ago you know we thought oh well we don't want to we you know they they're not criminals what they are is just misunderstood young people and, and we don't 
we don't we want to protect them. We don't want to ruin their lives by saying that they were involved in, I don't know, some scheme to toilet paper the principal's house. Well, that's not the people who are coming through the juvenile court system nowadays. It's armed robbers. It's carjackers. It's multiple car thieves. They're starting at the age of 12 or younger. Why are we not? Why are we not protecting society by coddling these thugs? Let's talk to Dick in Sheboygan. Dick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. And welcome back to the afternoon show. Thank you. The congregation says amen. I'm very glad to be here. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh, what I was thinking is any activity or any crime that the juvenile has uh, participated in that would normally be a felony in a federal court or in a an adult court that should be automatically trigger the fact that they their names and their uh, records are mm-hmm. therefore shown yep and published yeah I, I I agree no I mean th- see and that I agree with you I agree with you completely dick that and and that's that is my point I, I think at some point in time first of all, you know, I think, and I, I have friends who work in the juvenile court system, um, they just shake their head at the way a lot of these cases are disposed of. And the general public never knows because juvenile records are, are sealed. So this gives the judges cover. It gives charging decisions by the district attorney cover because nobody can really hold them accountable because you never know how many cars did this kid steal. You know, what exactly did this kid do as long as they stay in the juvenile court system? You know, once they get waived into adult court, then it's different. Then you can go back and say, my God, this kid was 17, was waived into adult court for armed robbery. What did they do before that? Well, you never know those type of things. I think that's silly. Now, again, maybe you want to say, all right, for, for minor for petty offenses, for things like shoplifting or TPing somebody's house or something, all right, we're, we're, we're still going to protect the juveniles. But I'm sorry, once you get around to stealing cars, I don't care if you're 12 or 13 or 14, you know, if you're delinquent because you're out there stealing cars, I think people should know that. And I think the neighbors, I mean, I think, wouldn't you like to know? If you're living on a street or you're living in a neighborhood where, you know, the kid two doors down or four doors down has been caught for stealing six, eight, ten cars. Wouldn't you like to know that? Don't you have a right to know that? At what point in time are we going to start protecting the general you know, public for these types of things? Bob in Cedarburg. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I agree with you almost. One of the problems is Wales, they shut down. Yep. About two or three years ago, and yep. we have another one around here shut down. And catch twenty two. If it was there and it was needed, what idiot would say, "Oh, shut it down. We don't need another one." I we we should. I think you know what they did. Now, thanks for the call, Bob. What <clears throat> what they did in an effort to try to save money is we we shut down a lot of these facilities, and now we we ship kids up to Lincoln Hills, and you, you got to work to get into Lincoln Hills. I mean, you know, up north of Wausau and all. I think that was a bad decision. I think the answer to the spiraling juvenile crime is not sending less kids to detention facilities. It is sending more kids to detention facilities, and that requires a commitment of resources. But here's the way I look at it. Whatever it's going to cost to build the juvenile correctional facilities, I think is worth it, because what happens is you've got these juvenile thugs that are out there. They are running the streets. They are committing more and more crimes. 
get them off the streets earlier, try to work with them for education, try to work with them for rehabilitation, but at the same time protect the rest of us. But I agree with you, Bob, that I think it was a mistake to close some of the facilities we had around here. I would reverse that. I would open more, and it's going to take more taxpayer dollars. But can I see a show of hands? I mean, seriously, if, if we were to say, all right, this is where this money is going to go. We are going to, we are sick and tired of the revolving door criminal system that puts dangerous juveniles out on the streets. Can can we see a show of hands? Who wants to have them locked up? And I think most, perhaps not all, but most people would say, yeah, we're sick of having our cars stolen. We're sick of being hit by these 16-year-old kids or 14- or 15-year-old kids driving 80 miles an hour, blowing through red lights and slamming into vehicles. But the larger point still to me is let's stop protecting them. Let's name names. Let's identify who these people are, and let's recognize that this is not the 1950s anymore. This isn't leave it to beaver, and if you decide that you're going to commit serious crimes, well, the public has a right to know, because I think it's all about accountability. And, yes, you find out when they turn adults, when they become adults, and then they commit something and they get charged, you at least find out what their adult record is, but you never know what they did as kids. And in many cases, you look back at what they did as kids, and most people would say, why were they on the streets? It's 1246. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We've got U.S. Senator Ron Johnson coming up in about 20 minutes, and big story number three in less than three minutes. Stick around. It's 1246. It's 1250. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's some text. This chase started a block from our house in a quiet residential neighborhood. That car was easily traveling 70 miles an hour when it went past our house. This is the car that's involved in the armed robbery containing five kids ages 12 to 17. A uh, car was easily traveling 70 miles an hour when it pa- went past our house, not to mention a parade of police chasing them. It was a miracle they made it to 23rd and Wells and did not kill anyone. That's Eileen from Milwaukee who texts. Plus, she says, meanwhile, our 11 and 12-year-old boys finished their homework and were in bed. Yes, but of course... That's because you care about your children, unlike so many of the, at least a portion of the parents um, who are responsible for allowing these thugs to run the street. Um, Let's see. uh, Let's see. Human Services wants to keep these families together. They won't separate them. That's the problem. We need to break the cycle, remove the kids. Here's another text. The Wisconsin State Legislature needs to draft a bill to release juvenile records now. That's from Dan. Dan, you are absolutely correct in that regard. Let's see. Here's one from Dave. It's time to protect the law-abiding citizens of Wisconsin from the juvenile justice system. Judges are able to avoid a bad reputation by allowing juvenile records to be sealed. It's time we go after these kids and hold them accountable. Absolutely. Tim and Waukesha text. Jeff, the names of all criminals should be known to the public and maybe one court system for all ages. Also, the parents need to be held responsible. Yes. I mean, it, I don't care if, if you're You steal 15 cars. I don't care if you're 25 or you're 15. The public should know your name. You are a menace, and the general public deserves to know who you are so people can take precautions against you. The public also 
deserves to know what happens in your matter. If you steal 15 cars or you're involved in an armed robbery and the DA's office decides not to try to waive you into an adult court and a juvenile judge decides, hey, I'm going to just send you back into the same environment you came from, the public deserves to know. Number one, so people that live around the kid or his teachers or whatever can protect themselves from the dangerous thug. And number two, so you can know what your judges are doing. Just saying. Um, here's Justin. Kudos to the Suburban Task Force. Agreed that we really need to change the law so these habitual repeat juvenile offenders' records be made public and that they be kept off the streets and unable to terrorize the decent people of Metro Milwaukee. Outstate lawmakers who mistakenly think juveniles are misguided youth who need to be coddled need to wake up after spending a few nights around here. Actually, where I disagree with you, Justin, is I don't think it's outstate lawmakers that are the problem. The problem is that... The problem is that it's situations, I I think it's a lot of the urban legislators, a lot of the people who represent, for example, the city of Milwaukee, oh, well, we don't want, we don't want to hold these people accountable. Don't you understand that we, we need more midnight basketball? And I'm not against midnight basketball. Okay, I'm not against that type of stuff, and I have no problem with trying to figure out how you deal with root causes, but I'm a law enforcement guy, and, and once... Once the social approach to it, once the touchy-feely, let's have the midnight basketball things fails, and you've got the kids that are out there stealing cars, well, at that point in time, you know, that's where I think it becomes a matter of public safety, and the public deserves to know who it is, whether you're 15 or 25 or 35 or 45 and 55, who it is that is terrorizing the different communities, and if we've got judges that are letting those people, again, ages 15, 25, 35, or 45, back out on the street to terrorize us we deserve to know who those judges are so maybe you can vote them out next time they come up for uh, election here's another one of our texts i totally agree with you i say if it's a misdemeanor fine but if they are crossing into felonies like auto theft and by the way the da's office as a matter of policy if you just steal a car they will not waive you into adult court they, they, they just won't. Car theft is a felony, but if you're a juvenile, and again, carjacking is different. Use a gun, it's different. But just go out, steal cars, and you are pretty much guaranteed that you are not going to be treated as an adult. How whacked out is that? Anyways, I totally agree with you. I say if it's a misdemeanor, fine, but they're crossing into felonies. Adult crime should equal adult punishments. Whatever happened to the curfew? Yeah, don't make me laugh about that. You know, whatever happened to, uh, whatever happened to that. All right. Coming up next, the continuing tale of Amber Schmunk, Mom of the Year. Stick around. It's 1255. It's 109. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. We'll be talking to, uh, we're scheduled to talk to U.S. Senator Ron Johnson shortly. This was, uh, we're a little bit flexible because uh, when we booked this, he was, I knew he was in an supposed to be coming out of a meeting just about now so um i said well we'll be a little bit flexible sometimes you book these with hard times and this was kind of like well um as soon as the senator's available and i see our phone lines ringing right now so always always prompt as well a lot of stuff going on in washington of course and lots of interesting things going on as well in connection with this is this the senator or are we gonna have to delay it rue do, 
as soon as we know our our hotline is ringing and if this is the senator we'll take him now if not we'll delay it until he might have a chance to be available like i say i know he was coming into a meeting hey the uh story about the shooting in california yesterday continues to just be again another one of these mind-boggling things because as they're going into the background what we find out is that here's another guy who has a lengthy history of violence. On yesterday's program, we were talking about what was going on with the, the, the situation in Texas, where you look back and you find the guy that shot up that Texas church has a long history of violence. And I think everybody says, oh, of course, we knew this guy was a time bomb, which raises the question about why was he out on the streets, you know, doing this in the first place. Same thing is true, apparently, with this guy that goes on the shooting rampage um, in California. Um, if they're looking at the background of this, he ends up being a situation where he's violent, he's crazy. You've got you know somebody who's 44 years old who has an entire history of um, trying to uh, again you know expose and exhibit all sorts of violent tendencies. Okay, so Ron Johnson's stuck in a conference and going to try to join us in a little while later on the program. Okay. I appreciate them calling and letting us know. Um, we'll work the senator in whenever it fits in with his schedule. Um, again, but you have this whole sis- history of, again, violence, people who are dangerously mentally ill. Everybody sees this, and yet we do nothing. And then we say, well, yeah, we saw this entire thing coming. No surprises there. All right. Big story number three does come from the U.S. Senate. One of the most controversial aspects of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, is the Obamacare mandate. The mandate is what says that everybody has to have insurance. And if you don't have insurance, you have to pay a penalty. As part of the mandate, though, if you you know qualify for subsidies, the government picks up some, and in some cases all, of the cost of your insurance, and that adds that adds a whole lot to the overall cost of the Affordable Care Act. The individual mandate is one of, as I said, one of the most controversial aspects of Obamacare, in that it, it tells people. You don't get to make your your choices. If you're uh, a healthy, you know, 24 year old. Now, I personally have, have always made the decision to have insurance, health insurance. I think it's crazy not to, but it's a decision that I have always made to do that. If you're a healthy 24 year old faced with, you know, and you're 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 in perfect health, and you think, okay, you know, do I want to spend a lot of money? for a high deductible policy that I'm probably never going to ever be able to cash in on. In other words, the deductibles are so high that I'm paying this money, but I'm probably not going to get anything out of it. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. You are told by the government that you have to have this insurance, even though it may make no economic sense for you to do that. So the proposal that's going through the U.S. Senate now as part of tax reform would say we're going to eliminate the individual mandate. Now, of course, um, the, the estimate is that this could save 
about 300 B as in billion dollars over the next decade. Um, however, the catch is it would result in, they, they estimate maybe as much as 13 million Americans being covered by health insurance by the end of that period. Now, it's not that the coverage and the insurance wouldn't be available, though. It would be people making an individual decision to say, you know what, I, I'm going to choose not to participate in the Obamacare program because, in most cases, it's going to be, I just don't think I'm going to get anything out of this. So, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I have always found the individual mandate to be particularly offensive. And it's not, again, because I I don't think people should have insurance. I I think they, they should. But at the same time, this is something that says to many Americans, you have to have it, even though the likelihood is that you will never be able to take advantage of this And we expect you to pay for it. And that strikes me as being wrong. Now, I understand there's these larger concerns about you need, you know, in any sort of health insurance system, you need X number of healthy people that pay in to cover the claims from the less healthy. But for many, many people, and and maybe you're one of those, for many, many people, um, you're never going to use it. And that's the frustration that I hear. I hear people say, hey, I, I've got these premiums, and the, the truth of the matter is if, if I'm under Obamacare, particularly if I make over a certain amount of money, I don't get the subsidies. It costs me fill-in-the-blank, ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 a year. The deductibles are more than that. I just, unless I'm going to rack up major, major, the catastrophic type of loss, I'm not getting anything out of it, and I'm willing to take that risk. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's a good choice, but should the government be telling you that you can't make that choice? 414-799-1620 is our number. We discuss Next, if you're on the line, please hold on. This is big story number three. The U.S. Senate looking to end the Obamacare mandate as part of tax reform. It's 117. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 119. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Greg and Appleton texts. If removing the mandate on insurance and it is now optional to enroll in insurance, how can they say millions will be without insurance? Isn't it actually millions will choose to go without insurance? Yes, that that's not the way it gets presented in the media, but, but that's right. Um, it is people who make the decision that says, okay, this money that I am now being required to pay is is useless to me. The deductibles are, are so high and the costs are so great that I am paying for something that I will never use. I would rather take the risk of being self-insured or whatever. Now, to me, you know, the, the answer is candidly, is to open up insurance markets and allow people, instead of being stuck in the Obamacare exchanges, to be able to buy insurance that fits their needs. So, again, if you're worried about 
the most catastrophic type of situation. You know, you buy a policy that covers you in the event you get that cancer diagnosis, but makes you responsible for covering most of the day-to-day types of things. But regardless, by eliminating the mandate, you would go back to a system where people could decide if they wanted to buy something or not. They could make an economic choice. You know, what's wrong with that? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rich on the north side. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, just a quick thought. I don't understand why the health sh- the healthcare um, insurance can't go the same direction as auto and home insurance. You know, uh, full coverage or liability, you know, I mean, if you want to get yeah. insurance that covers everything for any situation, you're going to pay more. If you want liability, you know, possibly uh, it only covers emergency rooms or no doctor visits or doctor visits and no emergency rooms. Right. Yeah. If you want, if you want collision coverage, you pay for collision coverage. If you want to adjust your deductibles, you adjust your deductibles. Yeah. That to me, I, I, I'm with you. That that makes that makes sense. Give people the freedom to decide what they want and what fits their individual needs. It just doesn't make sense to me because all the other types of insurances that you can get, you know, you you have multiple choices of what to do and how much to pay and how much to cover. And in health insurance, you have no choice. I mean, I work for a place that paid $110 a week for insurance. That's what, $5,500, $5,700 a year? And on top of that, I had a $7,000 deductible. Right. So I'm looking at twelve, thirteen thousand dollars out of my pocket before which is you could collect a dime. A month. Yeah, before you could collect a dime. So, you know, right. wh- why under an ideal situation, you should be able to. Wouldn't it be better for you to get a, a cheap policy that covers you in that catastrophic situation? You, know, you you get that ultimate diagnosis, but not have to pay for all this stuff that you're never going to be able to use because of the cost and the deductible. You know, you're you're out twelve grand, and your medical expenses, my guess, probably don't come close to that on a yearly basis. No, and you can't use it. You know, you have to meet a certain criteria right. uh, to. Uh, deducted from your taxes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Thank, thank, right. Exactly. It's. I guess in that. See that side point. Uh, again, I, I think these are individual decisions that you end up getting. That, that you end up making. Now, for many of us who get our insurance through our employers, you know, you don't have those, those monster deductibles. I think our deductible at, at Scripps here, I think it's it's $2,500 or $2,800. Okay, so, I mean, it, it's a manageable sort of thing, and, you know, you do reach a point where at least um, there, there's a chance that you're going to be using that insurance. But at the same time, you've got all sorts of people who are paying for something that they are never going to be able to use. And to say that this means 13 million people are going to be without insurance, that's not correct. It will be at least a large portion of those people who make the decision that they want to go uninsured and they're willing to take that risk. Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, good afternoon. Hey, um, I'm surprised that... um you know, you don't realize that we had a system like that. It didn't work, you know, and it caused, you know, a what do you mean it financial didn't work? crisis. What do you mean it didn't work? Folks they had huge medical bills and huge, you know, they lost their homes. No. In, a, in poor times, they just had no coverage. 
for their families or their spouses. So you know, in Wisconsin, the system before a, a in Wisconsin the system be complete so, meltdown so in, in Wisconsin and, and the system it, before Sue so, it's, so, it's a simple sir so, I'm trying to explain to you my position. I've and, been listening to you and, for several minutes. And Sue, I am trying to callers, ask you Sue. And I'm trying Sue, to tell I you underst- I understand that you're I think your saying that, view that somebody might be able to say like, well, okay, you know, I don't know why my employer is spending this money on me. I really don't get it because they should just be putting it in my pocket. I don't really need insurance. You know, that well, sounds but, like what you're trying to no, say. I'm, why I'm don't saying you go indivi- to your insurer? I'm, why don't you go well, to your I'm employer saying, so, Sue, so I want to go back to your basic premise. Sue, so, so, sorry. We're not going to have a conversation if you refuse to listen to the question. Your, your basic premise is the whole system was in a meltdown. No, it wasn't in a meltdown, Sue. I don't know what planet you are on. Actually, in Wisconsin, before Obamacare, we were much better off than Obama than we are under Obamacare. You had multiple choices that were around. There was a high risk pool that people could participate in if you had the pre existing issues. Pre, you needed pre existing coverage or something like that. People could tail. You had many more choices. You could pick your doctors. You could pick your health care plans. You could tailor the type of insurance that you wanted to your needs, and it was working. Now, in many counties in Wisconsin, you have extremely limited choices. For many people who are trapped under that, they are paying a ton of money for coverage that they are never going to be able to use. Now, I understand nationwide there might be issues. We had issues with pre-existing illness. I get that. And you need to, quite frankly, I think if we adopted the Wisconsin model and you found that going across the country, we would be a lot better off. But right now, here is the reality. You have lots of people, millions of Americans, who are forced to pay for something that they, number one, don't want, and number two, will never, ever use. That is just the reality of this. So is that fair to say, all right, you are, or let's talk about our first caller. He says, hey, look, this costs me, I've got a $20,000 deductible. I'm paying $13,000 a year. I'm never going to use that. How is it fair to say to that man that you have to do this? The answer is, it's not. It's just not. Now, I do think you have to do that in connection with other things, and we do have issues. I'll be the first to acknowledge it, again, nationwide, with issues like, you know, somebody, I don't know, you've paid for insurance your entire life, you lose your job, you get diagnosed with diabetes or cancer or something like that, and then you can't replace it. You need to do something with pre-existing illness. But let's go back to the whole idea of automobile insurance coverage, for example. Now, there is a mandate that you have to have a minimum amount of liability insurance, but when it comes to like collision coverage, when it comes to property damage coverage and things like that, you get to decide what you need for your individual situation. And if you decide, hey, I don't want collision coverage on my car, if I total my car, I'm willing to pay for it out of pocket, shouldn't you be able to make that choice? It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we've rescheduled Senator Ron Johnson until 2.40 this afternoon. So coming up in about an hour, we will talk to him, including 
that discussion about the Obamacare mandate being lifted. Will this result in just the absolute devastation of insurance markets in this country, or is this something we need to do, recognizing that Obamacare is about to collapse on itself? All right, uh, story in USA Today that's generating a lot of attention, and it's particularly timely given the fact that we have the, the gun deer hunting season that starts on, on Saturday morning. Now, as I have some people are, are using this as an example of why Wisconsin's decision to open the hunt up to children of all ages is, is a bad decision. I think it's a bad decision. I mean, I just, I still, I don't think that there's a need for six-year-olds, even with their parents in in, in tow, to be wandering around the woods with high-powered rifles. I, I just don't think there's a need for that. And for everybody that says, well, you know, the parents are going to be responsible. Well, what about the lady from Fredonia who decided it was a good idea to have her kid holding down a plastic swimming pool on the top of the van as she tried to drive home. But anyhow, this is a, a different sort of story. If you haven't heard it, it comes from Springfield, Missouri. There is a 14-year-old girl. Her name is Abby Wilson, and, and she's out participating in, in deer hunting. She's with her family, but she's not with her dad. I mean, she's the, the dad is at a different location, so she's in her location. She's 14 years old, and she apparently is – she's – been trained she is an experienced hunter she's gone through the the education process um she's looking to hunt deer they apparently have elk in missouri and elk kind of look like a deer um elk are protected there's no elk season in missouri so free-ranging elk are protected and it's a violation to shoot a free-ranging free-ranging elk okay so that that's it now in the area where she's hunting there there aren't elk okay there there just there aren't elk um the nearest like elk preserve is apparently a couple hundred miles away but but you know it's still not legal to shoot elk so the story is you have this young lady and, and she's She's out there, you know, shooting, and all of a sudden she sees what she thinks was a very large white-tailed buck. And she sees it. Um, it's in, like, the bushes ahead of her, and she she fires. She ends up, you know, shooting the, this buck. Um, she saw antlers. She saw the body. She thought it was a deer, and she shot. So she hits and kills this, this deer. And she tells her dad, hey, I got this really big deer. And it's this huge buck. The deer, the dad comes over and he says, hey, this, this, isn't, a, this isn't a big deer. This is an elk. And they immediately call the conservation wardens and they, they turn her in. I mean, it's not like they're trying to hide it or anything. They say this is, she shot it. She made a mistake. Um, what do you want to do? Since this story has gone public, apparently she's been you know, receiving threats and the dad says bullied i think sometimes that term is being thrown around too much but you know she has all these people saying hey you you should lock her up you know what was she doing you know shooting this particular animal right 414-799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line now i want to freely admit i i am not a deer hunter and i could not I, i don't know i guess if i was sitting in a deer stand and i saw 
something, you know, rustling in the, you know, rustling in the bushes? Would I be able to tell the difference between an elk or a deer? I, I, I probably wouldn't. But at the same time, I haven't been through the hunter safety courses. So I, I, I don't know that I would have made this distinction or not. The girl says she made a mistake. The dad says she made a mistake. This is nothing more than that. We expect that we're going to have to pay a fine for doing this. She's learned her lesson. This wasn't an intentional thing. Elk aren't supposed to be where they are. Do you accept that explanation? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, the, the, the response to this has been huge. Lock her up. Lock her up. Finer. This is irresponsible. Or does this strike you as being a legitimate mistake? Um, I and, and I guess I lean into that latter category. This I don't think this is because of her age. I don't think this is because she wasn't trained enough. I just think that this was perhaps one of these honest mistakes that legitimate hunters make from time to time. Do you buy that this was a legitimate ex- mistake? Is paying a fine sufficient for what happened here we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 142 this is jeff wagner wtmj 145 jeff wagner wtmj a number of people texting saying can you shoot elk in wisconsin no elk are protected like they are in missouri um they're they're apparently reintroducing a a couple elk herds into a couple areas of wisconsin but right now elk are protected as they are in missouri if you're just tuning in here's the story a couple days ago there's a girl who's out hunting with her she's 14 years old she's hunting with her father um the story is that you know she's looking for deer she sees she's looking ahead in these bushes she sees antlers she sees a body she thought it was a deer she took a shot um, she calls her dad, and the dad says, this isn't a deer. It's not a white-tailed deer. This is an elk. They call the Department of Conservation. Department of Conservation actually says, well, okay, the, the nearest elk herd is 200 miles away, so it, it's you wouldn't necessarily expect to see an elk here. They also say that these misidentifications are, are relatively common. This hunter, this young woman, probably never saw an elk in the wild before, um, but nevertheless i mean and and again the dad turns her in this isn't like they're trying to hide anything but now there's a lot of people who say okay lock her up you know go after her they don't believe that this was an innocent mistake i i'm look i'm not a hunter but i this is one that just on all these different levels all these factors going into it convinces me that should she be held accountable should she be fined yeah that that's that's appropriate what she did was wrong but i buy this idea that there wasn't evil intent here 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Robin in Port Washington. Hi, Robin. How are you doing, Jeff? What do you? I'm doing well. What do you think? Oh, I think that she should have just given me given a fine and uh, have the elk butchered and have it given or donated to uh, some kind of a home or uh, just a food pantry. W- would you let her keep the antlers? No, no, yeah, they, I don't think they're going to let her do it. The, the dad wanted that; he wanted to like keep the antlers and stuff. And I think they said no. That, that this whole thing, you, you know, you have no rights to that. And um, this is something that should have just been taken care of right there. It shouldn't make it on the radio. It shouldn't make it on TV. It shouldn't make it in the newspaper. You can understand. You, this, you could see how this could just be an honest mistake. The girl's hunting. Yep, exactly. She sees this. Yeah. Now, exactly. They, the things, I guess that, that's what I, I think too. Especially given the fact that. 
you're not looking for elk. Now, I understand that doesn't, I mean, elk and deer are different. I understand experienced hunters can probably tell the difference, but she's probably not expecting to see an elk. Like I say, the nearest elk herd is 200 miles away. She's out there deer hunting. You see antlers, you see this brown body, and, and you end up taking the, the shot. Now, I'm not I guess I also look at it, the fact that as soon as this happened, you know, uh, there's no effort to cover this up. She calls her dad, and the dad immediately calls the conservation people. I, by the way, wouldn't let her keep the antlers either. Um, let's talk to Chuck on the north side. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I have no problem. There was an accident. I look at it all the way. I used to hunt, and I'm looking for deers. And, I mean, if I see some antlers, I would be careful and make sure I got what I'm looking at. But as I was telling your uh uh, your producer, man, yeah. I like to know the people that are telling her to lock her up. Is it a rubber hunters that are telling her to lock her up? Or who's telling her to lock her up? Because I bet you if you really took it, talk to people, how much a hunter would say, I don't, I don't see any problem letting um, her go. I really don't think that. Okay, well, thanks for going on. Let me, let me share a text. This is from Jim in Milwaukee. Jeff, if you can't tell the difference, you shouldn't shoot, period. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as a mistake. Any question about it, you don't shoot fines and community service at, at the very least. Well, I think we would all agree that I, I think it's a fine, and I, I wouldn't let her keep the, the carcass. I wouldn't let her keep the meat. I wouldn't let her keep the antlers. But I guess that's that, that's the perspective. And I know you, know, you perhaps have, have hunted your entire life. But, I mean, is that – okay, if there's a situation where you're in your deer stand or, or you're behind a tree or whatever, and you look ahead and you see antlers – and you see a brown, you know, you see the brown body, so it looks like a big deer. You're not in an area where you're going to expect that it's going to be anything other than a big deer. Do you not shoot? I mean, do do you wait till I don't know, you can make a positive identification? Or is antlers and the brown body, is that enough under the circumstances to, to justify that? 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see, uh, let's talk to Kenny in Princeton. Kenny, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you hey, think? Jeff, um, uh, I'm going to throw a different spin on this. Um, the animal's in the bush. You see antlers on a brown body and you shoot. What if there was a hunter on the other side and you killed the hunter? Then what is your answer going to be? You're not supposed to shoot. You're supposed to know where that bullet goes for a half a mile. Mm-hmm. And so what, what do you, what's your answer then if, if somebody died in the, just because you've seen a, a brown body and antlers you can shoot? That's unacceptable. So what would you have had her do? Wait till the, wait till the animal comes out from behind the bush and then, and then yes. shot at it? Okay. So you, you you think it would – I'm just I'm – just, I'm, this is a legitimate question. I'm not arguing. I'm asking. Um, so you think – if, if somebody is out hunting deer on Saturday morning and they see the antlers, they see the brown body be, behind the bush, they, they shouldn't take the shot. They should wait till it comes out from cover. Would that well, is that what you're telling uh, me? Yeah, because the other thing you got to remember is you're shooting into a bush. The bullets can deflect. It's yeah. not to go into a kill shot, and all of a sudden this bullet's running all over the place. Right. You know what they teach you in hunter safety is know your shot. And this is not a known shot. It's it's a, a careless shot. Okay. What could happen to him? Well, minimum of community service, suspension of license until you go through the unsafety again, and then go from there. 
Okay. All right. Thanks for the call. I, I, interesting cover. Now, here, I have a text. Jeff, I'm 14. I'm a hunter as well. I have never seen an elk in the wild, and I probably would shoot as well if I would have seen the antlers in the body, but I would have called, uh, I would have also called and be obliged to pay the fine or any um, punishment. Let's see. Mitch says, Jeff, you're right. Obviously, no criminal intent, or they would have never called the warden. People who say lock her up need to get some perspective on this. Um, 414-799, you know, 1620. And again, I'm hearing from a number of people who say her error was, again, she didn't know that she had a clean shot, so she should have delayed it. Of course, um, I I mean, I, I don't know exactly what she was looking at. She did I mean, the shot, as it turned out, did kill the animal. It was only then that they found out that this wasn't an animal that she was allowed to shoot. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, your previous call kind of stole my thunder, but um, what she did was totally inexcusable. You don't shoot until you're absolutely sure of your target. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't realize when you pull that trigger, that bullet, there's no way of getting that bullet back. Oh, yeah, yeah. In my mind, what should happen to her is she should lose her hunting privileges for three years, have to go back through hunter safety training, and uh, pay whatever fine. That That's just inexcusable. Do you I mean, think... I mean, it's the basic tenet of one of the five rules they teach you about firearms. You know, do you think it's an honest... Do you think it's an honest mistake to mistake uh, an elk for a deer? Because I'm getting Absolutely a number of people... Not. Yeah, okay. I mean, my, my grandkids, when we look at pictures and books and that, they know the difference. I mean, I've hunted I've hunted both. Deer, maximum deer, 200 pounds. Elk, close to 1,400 pounds. Right. I mean, there's, it, it's just a... Right. It's not an honest mistake. It might be honest, but it's a stupid mistake. A, right, or a, careless, or a careless mistake. My, my big concern is, is more shooting when she didn't know what it was. I mean, that, you know, that's just totally unacceptable. Right. Um, you wouldn't lock her up. A fine. Uh, no, she yeah. never hunt with us, so I'll tell you that. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. Thanks for call. Again, th- this is one. I, th- the people that are saying lock her up, I'm, I'm like, okay, come on, re- really? I mean, that's you know, you, you save you, you when it when it comes to violations of, of these sort of rules, you save that for the, in my opinion, for for the people who are knowingly intentionally trying to violate the rules for the people who are okay you've got what was the story we had the, the guys from who, who worked at the schools in the school system who were out fishing and there was a bag limit and what they did is they caught stuff in the morning and then they hit it and went back and, and caught more okay that was where the intent in this situation was under the circumstances the dad here wanted to keep the antlers you know he wanted to keep the cape and stuff and they said no you know you're, you're not going to be allowed to do that I think that's appropriate I think she deserves to pay a fine I guess beyond that, it is an interesting conversation. Should she have just shot when she saw the thing in the bush, or should she have waited for it to come out into the clear? Probably, but I'm not locking up the 14-year-old. I am going to fine her, though. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Ron Johnson, again, we've rescheduled him for 240 this afternoon. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 158. WTMJ.com is giving you a chance to win an authentic NFL game ball autographed by Packers head coach Mike McCarthy. 
Just log on to the WTMJ.com contest page, listen for the special keyword in the podcast player, fill out the entry form, and you could be our lucky winner. You can enter daily, but you've got to be 18 to take part. Official rules at WTMJ.com. Good luck from all of us here at WTMJ. All right, coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, 2.40, we're scheduled to be joined by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. Before that, the lady who made the obscene gesture at President Trump, she's become a cult hero what is this world coming to? A wheel tax coming to a Wisconsin community near you. The Bradley Center is a dog park. Fidget spinners, all sorts of stuff. But before that, we have the news. Before that, Belinda Babinick, okay, my, my wife, she's, she's got to work tonight. Mm-hmm. So she sends me the, this very nice text that says, um, I picked up dinner for you. Okay? Okay. Now, it is is it, but she doesn't tell me what the dinner is. So like, is Do you think it like, it's kale or something? I don't know. Is, is it rude for me to, to send a note back saying exactly what is it I'm going to be eating, or should I just take it on faith that it's going to be something I like? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's like you don't want to rule out going through that drive-through in case it's kale. Well, I don't think she'd be. She, she's she's on, <laughs> she's see that's it. She's on me to eat healthy. There's healthier. There, there's no question about it. She said, "I want you to promise me you're never this morning. I want you to promise me you're not going to go through McDonald's anymore." To which I, I said, "Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I can't promise you that I'm never going to do that. I'm 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 not going to do that." So I, I, I don't know. I I did I I did. I hope this wasn't a huge faux pas in the newlywed like handbook, but I did send a note back saying, and what exactly am I eating? With like one of those happy face smiles and stuff. Did she answer you? Not yet. Oh, God. Not yet. The mystery continues. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2A, Jeff Wagner. I have the answer, Belinda. No kale. Is it salad? No, it's fish, potato, and sugar snap beans. Sounds good to me. It sounds good to me, too. What time am I coming over? (laughs) You're sharing with me, right? That's it. So you, you hate kale, huh? Here, here. Okay, if it's like a side dish, like here's a big scoop of kale. I'm not into it. If it's an ingredient in something, yeah. I can hang. See the right. The, the my familiarity with kale is gumbo. I love gumbo, and that's you find kale in good gumbo. Also, my mom, who was from uh, the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Uh, around Christmas would make this stuffed ham and it's it's very difficult to explain and we've tried to recreate it but it's a ton of work and so we don't do it anymore but it kale was one of the the active ingredients in the stuffing of the ham but just tremendous but yeah uh, and but yeah big thing of kale right but anyways kale is not on the menu you're Sugar off snap the beans are. I, <laughs> but even if it was I mean see this is what I do with my you know we're newlyweds and stuff and I mean if she's thinking enough about me to care that I'm not going through like the drive through at Arby's or the Burger Doodle or whatever and she's got dinner for me that, that's that's good enough I appreciate that alright we've got Ron Johnson coming up in about 30 minutes or so before that a wheel tax coming to a community near you um, we, we have spoken a lot about in Milwaukee County the the desire of the county executive to use a wheel tax to help fund transit and road repairs, but actually more like to support like the bus system. I think everybody is familiar now. That you pay a registration fee for the, to the state. You pay what seventy five bucks a year to register your car um, in Milwaukee County. Chris Abley wanted a $60 wheel tax. He proposed this last year. The county board gave him half a loaf. They gave him a $30 wheel tax um, on top of the $75 that you already pay. Abley wanted it to double at the 60 bucks. The county board said no. But if you live in Milwaukee County, you pay the $75 the state 
registration fee. You pay a $30 county wheel tax. And if you happen to live in the city of Milwaukee, you also pay, I think, an extra $25 on top of that for the privilege of keeping your your car. Um, that's been a huge controversy in Milwaukee County, of course. And, and, and the truth is, while Chris Abley had wanted to double it, he, he got a lot of what he wanted. He got a $30 wheel tax. It's just the county board said enough is enough. This idea of a wheel tax, though, is not limited simply to Milwaukee County. Today's TMJ4 is reporting that the mayor of Port Washington in Ozaki County is proposing a $20 wheel tax for Port Washington. He says, and this is the story on today's TMJ4, wheel tax is an idea that's been floated in Port Washington for several years. The mayor says this tax would generate about $200,000 in new revenue per year. So that means that if you live, for example, in Port Washington and you keep your car there or cars there, you know, you'd have to pay it per car. And, you know, you'd be this is a two hundred thousand dollar tax increase on residents of Port Washington. The mayor said that, uh, hey, you know, if we look over the next 10 years, we need uh, to generate about 20 million dollars in road repairs over the next decade. Um, we end up borrowing for this. This is the idea of the wheel tax. It wouldn't cover all the repairs but it would be a start. The mayor says, my argument is, let's make a collective investment now, a minimal a minimal investment of $20 per vehicle to make sure we're doing right by our current city residents, but also so we're not passing along this burden needlessly to future residents. He says he hopes the Common Council is going to consider this. Uh, today's TMJ4 goes to one of the local restaurants there and one person says, well, um, I'm, I'm kind of neutral on this. I only have one car, so it's not that big a deal. Um, another resident says, um, I still, we already pay enough in taxes. It's going to start at $20, but then it's going to be 30 and then it's going to be 40 We don't need um, this anymore. All right, no more taxes. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I use Port Washington as an example because th- this Milwaukee County, the Milwaukee County experiment slash experience is starting to spread. More and more communities are looking at ways of raising revenue, and one of the things they're doing is turning to, uh, again, the wheel tax going after people that have cars. The argument would be, well, we need road repairs. Now, of course, in Milwaukee County, Chris Abley, to his credit, was honest enough about saying, hey, this isn't necessarily just road repairs. I want to use this to help support the bus system and all. Up in Port Washington, they say, I know this is our way of using this to pay for, again, road repairs. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, coming to a community near you, the wheel tax. Is this something that we should start using on a community basis? Is this something that... For example, let's talk about Ozaki County. Here you've got the mayor of Port Washington who is pushing for this. Um, I'm sure there are needs for the county roadways as well. You know, should should Ozaki County, should Washington County, should we be looking at the Milwaukee experience and saying, all right, let's have each little city impose its own wheel tax, and then let's follow it up perhaps by a countywide wheel tax, or are there other ways to deal with things? How does this go? 
It's one thing to see how stuff plays in Milwaukee. It's another thing to see how it plays in Ozaki County or Washington County or Waukesha County. So let me let me tee this up. Suburban listeners, all right? Local community like Port Washington or West Bend. And again, it's the mayor of Port Washington that's floating this. All right, a wheel tax. Is this a, a way, a progressive way of looking at how we're going to deal with it in the future? Or is it just another way to get into your pockets? Um, candidly, I think it is the latter. And I think that this idea of local wheel taxes, especially in small communities, should be a non-starter. But that's just me. Dick in Grafton. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, it's simply another way to get into our pockets. I don't know if this is an invasive species or if it's a <laughs> disease, but I was hoping it would stop at County Line Road and maybe we could maybe we could have a stand at Pioneer Road. But <laughs> Washington isn't the only town that's proposing it. The mayor of Shawano, mm-hmm. north of Highway 29, the disease is that far north. <laughs> it's kind of like chronic wasting disease, but it's going yeah. the other way, huh? Yeah. Yes. And, and I don't know how it's getting that far north, but the, the Shano mayor wants $20 from everybody for, for every car, whether they can afford it or not. Yeah, I just, I, I'm going to be curious to see now. Now, the argument is, Dick, it's only 20 bucks. You know, what, what the heck? You know, people, that, that's not going to make that much difference to people. I'm not sure, and again, places like Port Washington or Grafton or Cedarburg or West Bend, I'm not sure that argument's going to be very compelling, but I could be wrong. I, when you talk about uh, the broad spectrum of the people that live in a community, uh, whether it's Port Washington and Shano, and actually I'm more familiar with Shano because I was born and raised there and still have property there. But for a lot of people, a couple with two cars, that 40 bucks is a lot of money when it comes to renewing their licenses. Right, yeah, that's that's and that's just for the local community. Then what happens if, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what county um, uh, Shano's in. Um, but uh, It's real simple, Jeff. Yeah, Shawano. it's Shawano County. The, okay, I because I, I, I remember you know when I started in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I, I used to handle all the felony prosecutions off the Menominee Indian Reservation. So I remember being in in Shawano. It's the county. That's right. Thanks for the call. That's Shawano County, and then you've got the community that's up there. I used to spend a lot of time up there. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Yeah, that's you know that's one of these deals where again I, I understand that. The legislature limits the ability of some communities to raise taxes, but but to me, this is a very very regressive tax. And and again, you're talking about twenty dollars a car on top of the seventy five dollars that you have to pay the state. Tom in Waterloo. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Um, Listen to your show a long time, and I just couldn't take it. I had to call. <laughs> okay, this was what got got you to pick up the phone. Okay, good. What well, do you think? This very subject has come up in Waterloo. Uh, just started the other day, and they're having a meeting tomorrow night about it. They want a $30 a vehicle wheel tax in our town of 3,000 people. $30? So they, they want so they want to make Waterloo like Milwaukee County, in other words, huh? That's exactly. And, uh, I, boy, I'm all blue, and I know a lot of other people that are, too. So 
it'll be interesting to see how this meeting goes. Cause, well, uh, well, it is because it starts at thirty bucks. So let's say you've got thirty. Now Waterloo's in Jefferson County, right? Yes. Okay, right. got. It. Yeah, okay. So all right, thirty dollars for the privilege of having a car in Waterloo. Then Jefferson County says, "Hey, you know what? Let's follow the Milwaukee experience. Let let's tack on another thirty bucks." You know, pretty soon, you know, pretty soon for every car you own, you're looking at you know over a hundred, maybe hundred fifty bucks or so for the privilege of just having that car registered. Right, and you know we don't have many businesses in Waterloo anymore. It's pretty right. much a ghost town, and. Uh, I don't know. It's just another nail in the coffin, I think. But uh. well, it, it will be. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if people show up, Tom. I mean, th- this is this is the latest thing. Now, I understand it's one of the only things that the legislature that the legislature has limited the ability of of local governments to impose taxes. So I, I get that. But this is extremely regressive, and it is interesting that everybody from Port Washington on appears to now starting to be at least to consider to jump on the bandwagon. Will the city council adopt it? Well, that's a whole other story. But just be aware, this is a tax. If you hear us talking about it in Milwaukee County or the city of Milwaukee, it is and could very well be coming to a community near you. Be warned. It is 219. This is Jeff Wagner. 222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Could part of future interstate expansion involve a self-driving car lane? That's one of the things Foxconn officials are after. Hear the full story with John and Melissa at 520 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. About a week or so ago, maybe a little bit more, we talked about the story about this woman, um, who her name was Julie Briskman, and she was the one. She lives in Northern Virginia, and um, she was she was the one who was out on a bike ride one weekend afternoon, and she was riding in the area, kind of like the Northern Virginia area, near one of Donald Trump's golf courses, and he was coming back or going to one of the golf courses, and she's on the road, and she. She makes the obscene gesture. This is this woman. She's 50 years old. I mean, really, it's kind of like, hey, Peter Pan, grow up. But she makes this obscene gesture at the president's motorcade. Ha, ha, ha. Somebody takes a picture of it, and the picture goes up on the Internet. Not content with just being the unknown person on the bike who's making the obscene gesture, she immediately then, then comes out and owns it. Hey, th- this was me, and she's proud of this, and she goes and she takes this uh, picture and she puts it up on her Facebook page as a profile, and she identifies herself to the world as the woman who was making the obscene gesture at the president's motorcade. What happened next was, um, and her company that is a government contractor, um, her company... You know, finds out about. It. Actually, I think she disclosed it. She said, "Look, I think you're going to find out about this anyways. This is me, etc." And then they let her go. So that becomes the huge story. And we talked about this. You know, my my attitude was, "You embarrass." It's it's not a question of free speech. You have a right to do it. But even though you're on your own time, you have embarrassed your company. And I think she was a probationary employee or just got off probation. You know, people can fire you for any reason or no reason. So I, I wasn't too sympathetic. Here, you, you go ahead and you do this. Um, that, that's fine. Here, it's, that's wonderful. You know, you've identified yourself as this person. But there are consequences. And I had absolutely no problems with the company doing that. Well, this is kind of the state of where we are in, in 2017. The... The fact that this story then 
I hate the phrase goes viral because it's such a cliche, but the story goes viral. And this woman, in some respects, becomes like this cult hero. Um, she's on the Today Show. I think Megan Kelly's interviewing her on the Today Show. They start a GoFundMe account. Now, here's what ha- this is a woman. Right? She's not starting her own business. I mean, she doesn't have an idea to build a better mousetrap. This isn't somebody who's, I don't know, come down with incurable cancer and is trying to provide for the kids. No, this is a woman who ends up making an obscene gesture and becomes, this is her 15 minutes of fame, because she made an obscene gesture at the president. They started a GoFundMe account on her behalf, and since it was activated... She's raked in over $70,000 in donations. On top of that, a pornography company has now offered her a a job in in IT. But $70,000 because, I don't know, she's famous for making an obscene gesture at the president's motorcade. My take on this would be as follows. If you could donate... Anybody who donates money to this particular woman, whether it's $5 or $10 or $20 or $100 or $1,000, donating money to this woman under these circumstances, that to me is God's way of telling you that you have way too much money on your hands. This woman, she's many things. She's not a, a victim, but yet... You know, it's 2017, we're a divided country, and I'm sure people say, oh, this is great. This woman, she stood up to that evil President Trump. I mean, she's gotten $70,000 in donations because she made an obscene gesture at the leader of the free world. That says more to me about the people who donated the dough than it says about anybody else. Just saying. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Harlem Globetrotters have turned Lambeau Field into a trick shot court. Check out their long distance accuracy and other antics in a video now up under the features tab of the WTMJ mobile app. While you're there, you can access our podcast page and you can download podcasts not only of all the shows that you hear on WTMJ, but also some voices that you don't hear regularly on the radio. Check it out. I know a lot of people. Um, Listen via podcast to the radio show to this show, and I very, very much uh, appreciate uh, appreciate that. It's actually a great way to check those things out, and you can listen to the shows in your own time frame. I, I, I've actually our text line has exploded with reactions to the idea that this this wheel tax is spreading um, to places like Port Washington. Here's one of the representative statements: "This is bull." I live in Port Washington. No way is anyone voting for this mayor again. They just sponged us for a huge referendum to rebuild the high school and add classrooms uh, to one of the elementary schools. Our streets are just fine. Stop selling all the lakefront property and closed-door meetings and imposing taxes that are not necessary. Yes, that is one of the sentiments that's there. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we are scheduled to be joined by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. Got a number of questions for him about things that are going on in the U.S. Senate. Stick around. It's 238. This is Jeff Wagner. The first rider has yet to step on board, yet there's already talk of expanding the downtown streetcar. Too early or worthwhile? Jeff Wagner asked that question in his show podcast on the WTMJ mobile app. Sarah, can you step in here a moment? Sure. So, big news? Oh, 
You're being promoted to regional sales manager. <gasps> That's great to hear, Alan. Thank you. Talk to corporate. Approved memo. Tens of millions of songs, one for every moment. Amazon Music Unlimited. For a limited time only, sign up today and receive three months for 99 cents at Amazon.com slash Music Unlimited. Automatically renews. Cancel anytime. Sarah, you, you can leave now. Okay. Hey girl, have you done something new with your scales? Using new moisturizer? Nice. It really brings out the hazel in your eyes. Oh, hold on. Are you using whitening strips too? Your fangs look good, girl. Really good. A really charming snake charmer? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to Geico. Wait, what? Have you been doing Pilates too? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Before he was a senator, Ron Johnson was a job-creating, successful businessman. So Senator Johnson knows lower taxes will boost economic growth and help hard-working Wisconsin families. We're counting on his leadership to simplify the tax code by nearly doubling the standard deduction and closing loopholes. The first $24,000 of your family's income would be tax-free. Tax reform will strengthen middle-class families, expanding the child tax credit, and putting more money back in your wallet to save for college and retirement. As a fiscal conservative, Senator Johnson understands we need to fix the deficit, and a growing economy can help. And this plan will spur real economic growth, creating good jobs and raising incomes for a brighter future. Call Senator Johnson at 202-224-5323. Urge him to pass real tax reform and create good Wisconsin jobs. Paid for by National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. Tune in every Sunday morning at 5 a.m. to the Senior Living Today Show with Luther Manor. This is WTMJ's Libby Collins. We'll go into depth with consultants from Luther Manor to discuss a wide range of topics designed for seniors, about seniors, and those who love them. Breakfast blitz, end around lunch, downfield dinner, or a classic green and gold tailgate, the right call starts with a stop at Century Foods. Now through Wednesday, save on Dairy Pure or True Moo Milk. Half gallon selected varieties, two for $3. Shed spread country crock, 45 ounce tubs, selected varieties, $2.99. Flavor packed vegetables, 12 ounce packages, selected varieties, four for $5. Keebler townhouse crackers, nine to 13.8 ounce packages, selected varieties, two for $4. From the best picked produce to the best meat in town, game day or any day. Think Century Foods, the right call every time. You've been heard to say you don't mind the cold because your veins run green and gold. But truth be told, when the tundra gets frozen, the frozen get to Century Foods for the chance to forego snow drifts and shovels for sun, sand, and a seven-night all-inclusive Apple Vacations trip for two to Iberostar Playa Mita in Mexico, complete with airfare, hotel, dining, and drinks at the resort. No purchase necessary. Go to Century Foods' Facebook page to enter. It's 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are joined live by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, how are you doing? I am well. Senator, I'm not going to bury the lead here. Um, our breaking news is you've, you've announced that you oppose the GOP Senate tax package. Is that correct? Yes, but don't make too big a deal out of that. What I'm trying to do is really make sure that the framework is honored, you know, where they recognize that in lowering the, the corporate rate to become competitive globally, which is just imperative, I'm completely supportive of that, that we don't leave pass-through entities behind, which is why they uh, proposed a 25% pass-through rate. The problem is, is, is neither the House or the Senate bill uh, delivered on that, 
And uh, I literally just got off the phone with the Speaker Ryan. I think they kind of realized the problem. They're trying to work through it. So I'm just looking forward to working with uh, my House and Senate colleagues to, to fix that particular problem, and then I'll be fully supportive. So, again, I don't, I don't want to... You know, you know, okay, portion, but you know, I, I, but I do, I do want to in its current form. No, I, I'm not supporting it because we have to fix this. This is a serious issue. Um, for people who who might just kind of get lost in the numbers, mm-hmm. can can you kind of give us like the the Reader's Digest version of what it is that you're discussing? Right, it, and it, this is complex. And let me apologize to listeners if you're not uh, tuned in to, to tax accounting. But the pass-through entities are the subchapter S LLC sole proprietorships. That the reason it's called pass-throughs is the income of those businesses pass through to the owner, owners, and are, uh, the taxes are paid at the ownership level, at individual progressive tax rates. C corps are handled separately, and, and we're dropping their tax rate to make it competitive globally. And so you've got that difference between the tax treatment. I just want to make sure that we maintain that domestic competitive position and balance between those two. And, and again, both, both the House and Senate version aren't, aren't maintaining that right now. Uh, and you anticipate, as you were saying, you, you've talked to Speaker Ryan, and you anticipate this is something that the people realize is an issue, and you don't see this as necessarily being a major stumbling block to tax reform. Well, it is if we don't fix it. Right. Um, but but again, I'm I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, you know, part of the process here is J, the Joint Committee on Taxation has to crank out scores, and then you have to go back and see, you know, if you're proposing something, uh, what has happened with the score, because we, we've constrained ourselves with this one point. $5 trillion static score that, truthfully, if we do this right, should be easily made up for economic growth. That's how you increase revenue to the federal government. And, Jeff, just to prove that point, uh, just got the recent revenue figures for fiscal year 217 in. We've increased revenue by $1.2 trillion per year since 2009's uh, recession. So that, that's with meager economic growth. Just think if we unleash the American economy. So that's, that's what I'm fighting for is just the recognition that these, you know, some of the, the larger, more successful pastor entities, real, entities really are the engines of innovation, of job creation, of economic growth in, in communities and states. And we just can't leave those, those pastors behind. Again, the writers of the framework recognize that why they propose that 20, 25 cent rate. But then in this kind of arithmetic exercise that is a tax reform here in this alternate universe, uh, that was just difficult to achieve, and so we've got to keep working on it. Um, Senator, one of the aspects of the Senate Republican tax reform bill that's getting a lot of attention is the idea of eliminating the individual insurance mandate under o- Obamacare. Where do you stand on that? Oh, I'm fully supportive of it. That is, you know, that's a wacky score to begin with. Uh, you know, we, we talked about that uh, during the, the health care debate, uh, but it's, it's a wacky score that helps us make the tax reform permanent. It's about a $338 billion score. Uh, it's not real, but it's real when it comes to Washington, D.C. accounting. So, you know, we would use that, and uh, I'm fully supportive of it. What do you say about people who would say that this would, this would essentially devastate o- Obamacare if people no longer were required to have to buy the insurance? Well, we're hearing word from CBOs lo- looking at reevaluating that score. They don't have enough time to do it because they're they're coming to the conclusion that it's really not that key. You know, particularly at this point in Obamacare, it didn't work that well. Uh, we have so many Americans, uh, generally low-income Americans. I think 85% make less than $50,000. Uh, in Wisconsin, we have like 100,000 people pay that uh, penalty. 86% are under $50,000. So this is hurting low-income Americans, and it's just not, it's just not working. So let's, let's eliminate it.
Um, Senator, obviously one of the, the, the big issues that's being covered in national news and we, we talk about here on the radio a lot is the controversy out of Alabama involving Roy Moore. Um, you early on in the proceeding said that you know, if these allegations of sexual harassment are true, you, you think he should step aside. Where do you stand on that today? Well, I think we all recognize now if, if more people come forward, they're incredibly credible. And I think all of us are, are asking for Judge Moore to stand aside, have a writing candidate. Uh, I don't know what the options are, but let's put the bottom line here is I think everybody knows, Democrats and Republicans, that Alabama voters want a Republican senator. They don't want a Democrat senator. And there's, you know, we just got to figure out which way to, under the rules and, uh, you know, legally to hopefully uh, grant that wish to the Alabama voters but not have that individual be uh, Judge Roy Moore. Now, I, I don't want to go too far down the road with this, but, I mean, one of the options, should should Judge Moore refuse to step aside and actually win the election, one of the, the choices would be that the Senate making a decision not to seat him. I, is, that, is that something that might be under consideration? I think that's probably what would happen. Now, you, you, you ha- apparently you have to swear them in, but, you know, as a body, uh, we can decide, you know, not to accept somebody, and I think, you know, just based on, again, the very credi- the, the credibility of the allegations, um, I, I don't think Judge Moore would ever become a United States senator. As long as we're um, talking about the issue of sexual harassment, and obviously the, the, the Judge Moore situation and the Harvey Weinstein situation, has, this is now something that, that's coming up and being discussed quite frequently. Um, I was looking at a story you know, off of Capitol Hill today, number of, of women coming forward and saying um, sexual harassment prevalent on, on Capitol Hill. Is this something that needs to be looked at and addressed by the Senate and by the uh, House? I think any organization uh, should be addressing this. It's, it's just sad, you know, how, how prevalent this is. And, and all these disclosure, disclosures, I hate to hear them, but I'm glad to hear them. I think it's important to expose this. I'm, I'm hoping that men of all ages understand the long-term harm that is done to, you know, members of the opposite sex when this kind of harassment or an assault is, a, you know, it, it, it never heals. And so I... I I think it's good that this is being discussed, um, and but it's horrible that it's so prevalent. Um, Senator, does, I mean, you've been in office for six years now. Does this come as a surprise to you? I mean, some of the reports are that there were, at least among some of female and some of the, the male workers who were on the on the Hill, that, that there were lists and the people knew people that you had to stay away from or be careful around. Does, does this come as a surprise to you that it's as prevalent as it is? It does to me because you know we we run a very good office here. You know, I've got young daughters myself, and I would never even consider. You know, the 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 women that work in my office age you know range in all kinds of ages, but you know most of them are about my daughter's age. So you know, we run a pretty tight ship here, and we we do this as an onboard process of sexual harassment training. In light of this, we're we're going to have every member of my staff go through sexual harassment training again and then do it every year as well so no we take this very seriously so now i I guess it comes as a surprise to me i I would think this is a pretty professional atmosphere here but people are human beings and and you know not everybody's perfect far from it um senator uh, president trump just returning from a a trip to to asia uh, a number of, of meetings as you look at the, the foreign policy landscape, I mean, obviously you've got the continuing issues with with uh, North Korea, but but as a general rule, do you feel comfortable about the direction 
that we are heading when it comes to dealing in foreign affairs? There are so many enormous problems that we're dealing with right now. You know, the rise of Iran, uh, the aggression of Russia, the, the craziness of North Korea and the threats that they pose if they get that intercontinental ballistic missile capability, which they are close to achieving. Um, you know, President Trump took over the presidency with a lot of problems brewing. And, and again, my true definition problem, things with not easy solutions. Uh, we have got to engage the Chinese uh, to discipline their client state. We, we need the world to enact the kind of sanctions that will convince Kim Jong-un to stop this and accept what, you know, the olive branch that President Trump offered in South Korea, you know, it could be so much better for your people as long as you, you stop threatening the world. So, no, this, this is, uh, I, I do not envy, I didn't envy President Obama his task. I don't envy President Trump's task. These are very difficult problems. But, you know, the solution is strong economic growth. So we have the resources to rebuild our military so we can, you know, address the world from a position of strength is the best way of handling these things in terms of the table stakes action we must take. Senator, is it sometimes frustrating to you the, the way it seems the media on, on a daily basis is kind of interested in whatever the bright, shiny object is? You know, the, the stories today about whether Attorney General Sessions remembers a particular conversation or, or, or something. Did he lie to Congress? That type of stuff. When at the same time, you are dealing with, like you were just talking, you know, major issues, whether it's health care reform or the, the, the global, you know, economy or just, you know, peace in our time. Is it sometimes frustrating? to just see what ends up getting covered and what doesn't get covered? Yes. Oh, you know, Jeff, I often say nobody can out-frustrate me. Now, I think there actually are people that can out-frustrate me, but I'm right up there at the top of the list. But, no, we have enormous challenges. You know what? This is why I stepped up the plate. Uh, we're mortgaging our kids' future. Uh, the, the, the issues, the dangers that, I, that we described earlier in terms of foreign policy, uh, we need a seriousness of purpose. We need a seriousness in terms of our public discussion debate about what the real priority issues are. And, you know, there, there aren't easy solutions, whether it's domestically, with, you know, how, how do we solve our debt and deficit issue? You know, what do we do with, you know, to produce a competitive tax system so we do get the best out of our economy, so we have opportunity and, and big paychecks for every American? Uh, you know, these, these are divisive, unfortunately, issues. But I'll, I'll go back to the, the one thing that gives me hope is that we share the same goal. And if we concentrate that, and this is just my business person talking, in business, you tenaciously pursue areas of agreement. In politics, unfortunately, people exploit differences. I choose to tenaciously really pursue those areas of agreement, starting with the goals we all share, a safe, prosperous, secure Wisconsin America, and that's what I'm focused on, you know, those issues. How do we provide greater security, better safety? How do we have a more prosperous America? And, again, as frustrating as this place is, I just keep my nose a grindstone. I just keep trying to work on those issues and, you know, whatever the news media covers, they're going to cover. Hopefully I, I can accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish here and, and, and make some improvements. Senator, we'll end it on a positive note. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Look forward to talking to you sometime soon. Have a great day. That's Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the story is he's coming out against um, the tax reform package, and obviously you can't lose that many votes. Um, I, I think he supports it. He's explaining, you know, the details. There, there's an aspect of it that he thinks needs to be changed, and that's what he is pushing for. It is 2.54. When we come back, we're going to be talking to John McCure, who's, of course, going to be leading the program of Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.